This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan on this first day that Victorians are allowed out, Wednesday the 28th of October. So one of the big buzzwords around this pandemic so far, Norman, has been herd immunity, the idea that if enough people are immune to the virus somehow that uh, that's going to stop the spread and that's going to potentially be a way out of it. Maybe we achieve it through natural infection, maybe we achieve it through a vaccine. But there's been new research out of the UK showing that it doesn't look like people have antibodies for very long even once they've had the virus. Yeah, this is an important study, not just for herd immunity, but it's also for immunity in general. I'll tell you about the study. So it's called the REACT study. It's from Imperial College London. And what they've done is three phases of antibody testing in the British population of about 100 or 150,000 people each. And there's no overlap. So it's different people each time checking what the prevalence of antibodies to SARS-CoV-2 is. And what they found was that at the beginning of the study in June, there was about 6% prevalence of antibodies, and that dropped to about 4.4% at three months, about a 25-26% drop. wasn't even. Young people tend to preserve their antibodies better than elderly people. So elderly people, just the people you want to have the antibodies, their antibodies dropped more precipitously. And also people who had asymptomatic infection, they lost their antibodies more than others, and they didn't have as many to begin with either. So so there are two or three things that this study tells you. It's a preprint, so it's not been peer-reviewed yet. We just have to warn you about that. Two or three things. One is, after all those infections in Britain and all those tens of thousands of deaths, all they got to was about 6% herd immunity when they need to have 60%. So that just shows you the carnage that would need to occur to get to reasonable herd immunity that would control this so that's, that's out. And the second disturbing thing here is that the antibodies decline over a fairly short period of time. And the researchers say, because there are two kinds of immunity, there's antibodies and then there are white blood cells, T cells. And T cells attack the virus themselves and also retain memory of the infection. And in fact, the researchers poo-poo the idea that in fact, that T cells might be, might get you out of jail there. They're worried about the fact that the antibodies decline over time. So the third implication of all this is for, beyond the, the, you know, the fact that herd immunity is just a, you know, a mirage, is that perhaps if this bears out, the vaccines when they come along may need to be given more frequently than once a year, maybe once every six or nine months to maintain immunity perhaps in the elderly, and perhaps the elderly need bigger doses. So it it just tells you a lot about what's coming around the corner in terms of how you administer these vaccines. And it may be that we have to wait to the second generation of more powerful and potent vaccines for this to work best and to reduce the length of time between immunizations. So important study, got to wait for it to be peer-reviewed, but if it's right, big implications. If immunity does wane seemingly so quickly, why aren't we seeing more cases of reinfection in the parts of the world where the virus is really running rampant? It may be that the conclusion in this research is wrong. So we we do retain immunity regardless of the antibodies. So that's the first thing. Second thing is that we may not need a lot of antibodies to give us some immunity. So even though it wanes, 
in the first three or four months. We've got enough there. And remember, these reinfections that we're seeing are, you know, are over the three or four month period, not over the six or eight month period by and large. Uh, although not very many have been reported. And there may be more than we know about as well. So you might have had an asymptomatic infection to begin with, missed completely, and then you're getting a second infection. So, so we, it's really a bit of a mystery, all this, and we just need to follow it through. I can't speak for the general population, but I think when we were originally talking about a vaccine to coronavirus, the aura around that concept was very much that like you have it once and then you may be done or you might have to have it topped up every couple of years. But this sounds like quite an intensive vaccination strategy if it's going to be effective. Well, I don't think we ever said on Coronacast that uh, you know it's once every couple of years. I think we've always said that it's probably going to be a yearly, an annual vaccine. Now, just remember that the first round of these vaccines are going to get approved for, by the regulators if they're 50% effective. And they're not 50, and that's not 50% effective at preventing infection. That's 50% effective at preventing COVID-19 disease. So the first generation of vaccines may not be that effective. And it wouldn't be surprising if they didn't last that long. Um, there was an interesting article the other day, can't remember where now, but they were talking about the, the tortoise phenomenon, or as we would say in Glasgow, the tortoise phenomenon, <laughs> um, which is that maybe the second round of vaccines, and the University of Queensland vaccines, one of them, could come in and overtake the first round vaccines and be much better here. So we shouldn't give up the ghost here. The vaccines could be very effective, but I think it's unlikely they're going to be effective, given the current evidence, much more than a year and we're talk probably talking about annual top-ups. So it would be pretty depressing if we've got to do f six monthly top-ups. Yeah, and, and it really just hammers home this idea that, we've again, we've spoken about this so many times now that it's not going to be like flicking on a light switch uh, the minute a vaccine's announced. It's going to be quite a slow re-entry into what we think of as normal life coming out of this pandemic. Yeah, and remember, this isn't influenza. This is coronavirus. And there have been some successful animal vaccines for coronavirus, but they don't last a long time either. You know, and you do get common colds every year and there's not a lot of cross immunity. So how the body reacts to coronaviruses is a bit peculiar to the coronavirus and you can't generalise from other vaccines and other infections. So Norman, let's take some questions from the audience. And Ivan's um, emailed in asking, what do we know about the efficacy of the Russian vaccine for SARS-CoV-2, which we heard a bit about a few months ago? Is it working or not? What do we know? Uh, we don't know much. They published a controversial paper, I think it was in September, which was on preliminary results. And the results look very fishy indeed. And most people rejected them as valid. It's a bit of a shame, this Russian vaccine. And again, we might talk about this later in the week with somebody who knows more than we do, or I do. And that's is that the, potentially the Russian vaccine could be quite a good vaccine. It's got a lot of the hallmarks of a good vaccine. And I just think the politics have stuffed it up. And we may the tragedy is we may never know how good the Russian vaccine is. But a pretty unreliable study published about a month ago or so. And we really don't know how, what's going on with that uh, with that vaccine. And a question from Laura, who's in Melbourne. Hi, Laura. Um, good on you for um, fighting a good fight for this long. Uh, she's excited and nervous about everything opening back up and is wondering what your thoughts are about aerosol spread in shopping centres. Is it safe to go back in if she's wearing a mask? She also has a 10-month-old baby. So you're lucky you're living in Victoria where there's mandatory mask wearing. So when you get into shopping centres, presumably you're only allowed in if you're wearing a mask. And that reduces the risk of spread by about 
So you're not really protecting yourself so much as protecting others. We've said this many, many times on CoronaCast. And if everybody's wearing a mask in a shopping centre, the chances of transmission are incredibly low. I can't give you advice about your 10-month-old baby, but I would have thought that you're in pretty good shape there and you wouldn't want to get too close to people. You wouldn't want to get into a stuffy environment. So if it's well-ventilated, I think the risk is pretty low. So Norman, let's talk about a bit of research. And one of the things that we've talked about a few times on this podcast and that there's a lot of concern about in the community is whether or not the coronavirus can mutate and what those mutations might mean for its ability to spread or our ability to fight them with vaccines. And there's a new piece of research out that talks to this. Yeah, it's, it's in Nature, which is you know one of the world's two best science journals. And it has been peer-reviewed, although it's not in its absolute final form in the journal. So we just make that clear. So there is a mutation, we've spoken about it before, which is the D614G mutation, which is a complicated way of describing it. But essentially, this is a mutation of the virus which has survived preferentially because it seems to be more contagious. And what they've done in this research is that they've engineered this mutation into an early strain of the virus to look at what sort of effects that it has. And what they've proven is that, in fact, it does replicate preferentially in the upper part of the respiratory tract. There does seem to produce more virus particles in the nose and the upper throat, but not in the lungs. And so that suggests that it's actually producing higher viral loads, which means that it may increase transmission as well. So this is a more, you know, the conclusion would be, this is an animal experiment, that this is a more contagious form of the virus. The good news is that the antibodies that are generated it's a bit more complicated than this, but effectively the antibodies from the original virus work pretty well against this mutated virus as well, in fact very well. And therefore the assumption here is this particular mutation, and I quote now from the paper, may not reduce the ability of vaccines that are currently in clinical trial to protect against COVID-19. So that's good Good news. And for those companies that are manufacturing monoclonal antibodies, synthetic antibodies against the virus, we'll need to make sure that it works against this mutated G form of the virus. Well, that's all for CoronaCast today. We love your questions, so please keep sending them in. Go to our website, abc.net.au slash coronacast, and click Ask a Question and mention CoronaCast so we can find your question. And if you don't have a question but you have a comment, you can leave one there too. And please don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts as well, if you can, because we love reading them. And we'll see you tomorrow on the second day of Victoria's Freedom. That's right. See you then. See you then.